Let's pray. Father, thank you for people like Patty and Dan who are interested in introducing other people to who you are. And thank you, Father, for the, the music this morning. Thank you for the way that that just helps us grow closer to you and refocuses our vision. And Father, I just pray that your words would be heard this morning and that we would be open and receptive to hear what you have for us. We pray that in your name. Amen. So what's up with shame? We're talking about shame, and the interesting thing about shame is that we all carry it. We all have it. We all deal with it, and we're all afraid to talk about it. Honest truth. And the less we talk about it, the more shame has control of our lives. Last week, Jim was talking about addiction. We all have that too. We're a mess. And from the researchers that I've read and listened to, shame is the solid fuel for addiction. It also happens to be uh, very closely related to violence and aggression and depression and eating disorders and bullying. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love. Unworthy of belonging. Shame equals fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do an ideal that we've not lived up to or a goal that we've not accomplished makes us unworthy of connection. Unlike guilt where we think, I did something bad, shame leads us to think, I am bad. Unlike humiliation where people feel like, I don't deserve that humiliation. Shame makes us feel like we do deserve it. We do deserve the shame. Shame is isolating. Shame is real pain. Categories in which shame kind of shows up, and this I, I owe a lot of this information to a woman named Brene Brown. She's written a lot about this. Um, I would recommend it you want to jump into this world more. But 12 categories of shame, where it kind of shows up. Appearance and body image. Money and work. Motherhood. Fatherhood. Family. Parenting. Mental and physical abilities. Addiction. Sex, aging, religion, surviving trauma, 
being stereotyped or labeled. What does it look like? What does shame look like? Is it something like this? Kind of isolated, away from the rest of everybody else? (laughs) Right? Or maybe it's more like this. How about this? Shame looks like a father lifting his boys from the ground and beating them with a stick only to have one of those boys grow up into a full-grown man and beating his daughters. It looks like a child who was molested when they were young, innocent, powerless who then grows up to abuse their power to break the innocence and purity of another child. It looks like drug-addicted parents who abandon their responsibility to protect, nurture, and raise their child and rather expose him to molestation, ridicule, and abuse only to have that child end up after a long road of meaninglessness, drugs, and depression, on a bed of suicide. What does shame look like? For me, shame, as I've been walking through this valley, I've had two pictures that kind of represent the way shame has affected me. On one side, there's a picture of a boy, a small boy, who's crying and desperate. He's in a room by himself. And he is clothed in the skin of an adult man. He's inside and it's draping off of him and he can't get out of it. Desperate. Another picture is one of that same small boy struggling, trying to lift this massive heavy black rock to try and lift it off of these people that are being crushed by the weight. And I can't do it. It's too big, too heavy, and I'm powerless. That's what shame looks like for me. Looked like for me. But where did it come from, shame? this thing that affects every single one of us, touches every one of our lives. Where did it come from? We're going to read. I'm going to read to you. I want you to listen. This is in Genesis. The detailing of this this, uh, capturing of what shame looks like is pretty remarkable. But in the beginning, we didn't have shame. The Lord did not create us that way. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, were both naked and they felt no shame. That'd be a cool place to be. Living with no shame and naked. I don't know. I I don't like clothes, but there you go. We read on. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat from eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. Liar. Liar. How often do we tell ourselves these little lies? Ah, it's not going to hurt anybody if I do this. Nobody needs to know it's not going to. It's a lie. It's been lying from the beginning. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first thing that they did after they ate was they experienced a spiritual death. They died. And suddenly they are trying to take a terrestrial thing. They tried to take the leaves of the garden to cover themselves. They're trying to find a terrestrial solution for spiritual problem. And we've been doing the exact same thing ever since. We are reaching desperately to fill that hole. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Go ahead and put that slide up. They incurred shame. In the next one. And then they hid. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? Go ahead, test the time. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Are you guys hiding? How do you hide? It's probably the better way to ask it. We all hide somehow. Are you hiding from the Lord? 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman, you put her with me. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. Right? We do that too, right? Blame shift. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, She's a serpent. She, it's your fault. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And people have said that this is the first sacrifice in the history of our planet. God clothing Adam and Eve is a promise that one day he would clothe us once again. He would heal that spiritual death that we encountered, but not yet. And then the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God protected us by preventing us from eating from the tree of life in that state. Because that really would be hell. If we live forever in our current condition, that would be hell. So there was a French philosopher in the 17th century by the name of Blaise Pascal. And he was a mathematician, he was a genius, but he was always curious about human nature and he was a keen observer. And he was always puzzled by how man could at the same time exhibit such incredible beauty and dignity and glory and such depravity. And he had these things to say. These images that you'll see here, these are Michelangelo's prisoners. It's as if you can see the dignity and the glory in which we were created wrestling with chaos and disorder, striving for emancipation. Pascal said this, man's greatness and wretchedness are so evident 
that the true religion must necessarily teach us that there is no or there is in man some great principle of greatness and some great principle of wretchedness. What sort of freak then is man? How novel, how monstrous, how chaotic, how paradoxical, how prodigious. Judge of all things, feeble earthworm. Repository of truth, sink of doubt and error. The glory and refuse of the universe. It's what Pascal liked to call deposed royalty. We all carry with us some sense of the greatness from which we have fallen. We know deep, deep, deep down that we were not created like this. We were created for something different. And we incurred that shame and we struggle with it. How does shame affect us? Well, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we can change and do better. It corrodes it. You can't do better. Why even bother? Why try? That's shame. It causes us to move away by withdrawing from people. We hide from people. We silence ourselves. We keep secrets. Or we move toward people in, in an attitude of appeasement, and pleasing, kind of like a yes man. Or we move against people by trying to gain power over others, by being aggressive and by using shame to fight shame. Most of us, we use these tactics. And we're pretty good at them. We understand them. They're close to us. But the end result is the same. Shame isolates us. Adam and Eve, one of the first things that they did was to draw in, try to cover themselves, and they turned away from the Lord. We become isolated from the Lord. We become isolated from our friends and our family. We become isolated from ourselves because we stop paying attention and we tell ourselves lies. Isolation. And when you're isolated, you can't be known. No one can break through that wall unless you remove the wall. It's like we end up shielding ourselves from the wolf that lives inside of us. In the uh, 12-step program from the AA, they have a saying that says, you're only as sick as your secrets. So what is the way out? What is the way out of shame? Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is a word to turn. 
Adam and Eve, where are you? Turn. What is the good news? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Paul, talking of Christ, said that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. That's the good news. God is reconciling all things to himself, and the vehicle that he chose to use was himself in the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body on the cross. Are you tired of walking in darkness. I know I was. You're tired of secrets. I hate secrets. I'm terrible at them. They drive me nuts. Do you desire peace in your heart? There was a moment in my life where I woke up to this noise. The Lord woke up this noise, I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much unrest and I'm not at peace at all. Do you long to be known for who you are so you don't have to hide, you don't have to have secrets? It's freedom in that. Repent. Turn. Believe and follow. So there was a time in my world where I was an angry man. And I was cursing the Lord because I honestly I didn't even know if he was real because my life was miserable. But I gave him the opportunity to move into my life. I said, Lord, I don't know if you're real. I honestly don't. But if you are, you've got the green light. You can do whatever the heck you want to get my attention. No holds barred. Have at it. And uh, he was more than happy to jump right in and get to work, uh, to my surprise. And he started to wake me up. I started to see things that I had never seen before. I started to 
remembered things that I had said and done, and I was horrified. And I had to make a list. It's like, I need you to make a list. These are all the people that hurt you. You bear those scars. You bear that unforgiveness in your heart, and I need you to forgive me. All right? So I started making lists. I need you to make a list of all the people that you've hurt. And I need you to apologize. So I just started going through it. And as I started walking through that process, I started to gain a sense of empathy for the people who had hurt me. I started to understand they're not my enemy. And as I went through that list, apologizing to people that I could find, I was always met with a, oh, oh, thank you. Wow. Was, I can't think of a single negative ex experience that I had of going to someone and saying, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I recognize that. And I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, there's this peace that started growing. It's like flushing out all of this garbage that was inside. When I was in seminary, I had an opportunity to go to counseling. I thought, oh, this is a good idea. I should probably do this. And they made it kind of affordable, so I started walking down that road. And a friend of mine invited me to a retreat. Men at the cross. I'm like, oh, sure. You know, go, what the heck. And in the middle of that whole experience, that little men at the cross thing, I had an experience that has changed me forever. And I don't, the, the details around it are kind of hazy, but I remember standing, the man looking at me and asking me, what shape is this shame that's in your heart? What is, what's the shape? And I was like, I can't really identify with shape. I don't know. It doesn't really have a shape. What color is it? I guess it's black, dark, dark, bottomless black. What sound does it make? What sound? I thought about it. What sound does it make? And I thought about all of the years that I'd been wrestling with my brokenness and the frustrations and the pain and the chaos that ensued from a person who is broken. What sound is it made? And from the somewhere deep, I just, I yelled this gut-wrenching, tearing, painful yell. And then something just broke. And these floodwaters started pouring through me. I started crying. He asked me to make that sound again. So I yelled again. More tears. And it was like healing just started washing through my body. And they wrapped me in this white sheet and they set me in a chair. And for half an hour, I just sat there and wept. 
and wave upon wave of the Lord's love just coursed through my body like electric honey. And I felt like he was healing me. And I had those pictures in my head. The boy in the skin. And the boy at the rock. And they changed. The small boy who was desperate and crying inside the adult skin, he was able to take it off. Hang it on this coat rack that appeared. And he was free. Didn't define who he was anymore. And the boy who was terrified and screaming and trying to lift this massive stone, he started to get bigger and bigger. And the stone got smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where he was able to pick it up. And it became insignificant and small. And it just flipped it away. I was emancipated. from shame. And it doesn't define me. It's not who I am. Oh, that happened to me. Those things are real. Those memories are still there, but I'm freed from them. Thanks to the Lord who's led me on this road, introduced me to people, to books, to literature, to opportunities. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If the Lord can save me and emancipate me, he can save anyone. He can emancipate anyone. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. So now I get to live as an example of God's mercy, of God's goodness. He brings people into my world and I get to share my story. And sometimes I hear those voices that say, you're no good. What right do you have to tell that story? You're not, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you fill in the blank. To which I can say, you know what? You're probably right. I'm probably not good enough. I'm probably not smart enough. But you know what? 
Praise God, I have an incredible Savior. And you know what else? In spite of all you say, I can still show up. And the voice might object, but you're too fat. You're too lazy. You're too stupid. Hmm, that might be true. You're probably right, but you know what? I can still show up. And you know what? I'm going to tell my story. Praise God that His power is made perfect in my weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a parable called the Prodigal Son. And uh, we all kind of share that story. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the, the boy who asks his father for his inheritance and they, he takes it and goes and squanders it and he ends up in an isolated place. Recognizing his mistakes, his failures. How many of us have been here? Isolated, lonely, desperate, looking for connection, wondering if it's true. Is the gospel true? Can I return? Is it true that the Lord reconciles all things to Himself through the work that Christ did on the cross? Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and they died and they hid. And the Lord said, where are you? And we've all made the same choices and we've all fallen victim to the snare of shame. Don't stay there. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Believe. The Lord is good. He will lead you into freedom from shame. Freedom from darkness. From lies. He will make you strong to stand in the light and in the truth. And he'll give you a voice to tell your story to people that he brings into your world so that they can be introduced to the Lord as well. So that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm happy to say that that man whose father lifted him off the ground and beat him and who then turned into a man who abused his own children He's a changed man. He shared his story with me. He's reconciled with his father. He's reconciled with his mother. He's reconciled with his children. There's peace there. The man who ended up on the bed of suicide after a life of drugs and depression 
being abandoned by his parents, the Lord has captured him. He's a changed man. The Lord reconciled him. And he's walking today in freedom. And he's working on reconciling with his parents, but that part of the story hasn't been written yet. And I'm happy to say that this man stands before you because he's been reconciled by the Lord. And if he can save me, if he can reconcile me, he can reconcile anybody. So turn, repent, believe, follow the Lord where he leads you. Because he will welcome you home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your mercies that are new every day. Lord, I know that you are not done with me. You still have work to do, and I'm wide open, Father. You still have the green light. And I pray for the people here, Father, that they too would have the courage to let you come into their hearts and the courage to follow you where you lead them, knowing that you lead them into peace, into a world that is free from shame, to a world that is free from lies. Father, may we know your heart of love that you have towards us. Thank you for welcoming us home. Amen.